Are you fascinated by UFOs, the occult, strange history, and more? On October 14th through the 16th at SIR Nashville, the Strange Realities Conference 2022 will take place. Three days of exploring the mysteries of the supernatural, history, UFOs, the occult, and much, much more. Featuring presentations by Steve Berg, Micah Hanks, John Tinney, Adam Gorightly, Tim Banal, Christopher Ernst, Samantha Engel, Recluse, Nathan Isaac, Melody Blackthorn, Dr. Future, Soraya Askath, Timothy Ritter, Aaron Gullius, Delaney Bowers, Olaf Phillips, and David Metcalf. With workshops by Kiki Dombrowski, Ren Collier, and Michael Hughes. Come join us in Nashville or online. Tickets are available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Find out what everyone is talking about. This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and Stacy Sherwood. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight, I, I think this is the first time I've had this combina- combination. I'm quite sure it is. I have uh, Nathan Isaac of the Penny Royal Podcast. Thanks for having me, man. I have Taylor Bell. Hello. I'm not sure what to say you're from at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the transitory Taylor Bell. And we have Ren Collier. Hey, everyone. Who has not been on the show in way too long. It's true. Because he disappears into his little liminal world, and <laughs> then every once in a while, he pops his head up, and we try to hit it with a hammer. <laughs> Open the door and slip between dimensions. Just, just kind of whack-a-mole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes, finally, Ren is back joining us. People are always asking when you're going to be back, Ren, so uh, apparently the answer is now. There you go. And tonight we are going to be talking about AI and uh, all things connected to AI. Uh, this seems like a very good combination of people to do it. We had talked a little bit about Loeb with AP Strange and Super Inframan, which I wasn't very familiar with it at the time. I'm a little more familiar with it now, but um, where would you guys like to start with all this? Oh, man. Well, um, you know, speaking of Loeb, I guess art is, is kind of a good place to start, but there's so many different branches that this really could go. And people love the AR, AI art stuff. Yeah, I guess we could we could describe. I mean, it's funny. I haven't ever actually heard anybody say her name out loud and I always just said Loeb. Oh, it could be Loeb. So, yeah. It's a Loeb, but I don't know. Yeah. Like, there's no real way to pronounce it because it's not even a name that really exists. <laughs> Not even technically her name. It's just what uh, part of the AI image prompt that generated her uh, or that, you know, I maybe think that she was hiding in. Um, So we could kind of go into the history of this. Like it was a a Twitter thread back on September 6th of this year um, where an AI artist and researcher claimed that they had discovered a woman who they were calling Loab uh, in April, back in April. 
they basically generated this through a technique when when they were generating AI art, you can do something called a negative weighted prompt. So you know, normally you do like AI art where you say, you know, uh, like like Seinfeld uh, jumping over a shark with a dirt bike. Um, you can do the opposite of that, uh, which is a negative weighted prompt where you're trying to find uh, the furthest possible away from like your prompt that you're trying to do. So th- they did a prompt like Brando. So like what would be the image that would be the furthest away from the word Brando? And they got this little black castle looking thing that said digita pentix, just like nonsense words. Um, although we can get into this later, apparently uh, different AI systems apparently are have created their own internally consistent languages uh, like within their, their systems. Oh, but, yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, yeah, we can get into that in a bit. Um, so he, he thought it'd be interesting to do a negative weight prompt on that, like to see, okay, well, if I if I tried to go as far as away as I could as possible, like from Marlon Brando, and then I reversed that, would I end up with an image of Marlon Brando? Uh, instead, sure. they ended up with this image of this incredibly horrifying looking woman with giant like rosacea triangles on her cheeks. Um, and they started to combine that with other images that like some of their friends were producing. And basically, she's she sort of like infects every single image that you combine her with and the imagery that that was generated using her uh becomes like increasingly macabre and horrifying like lots of uh they they said that they couldn't post some of the stuff but just because it was so so messed up Mm. but lots of uh, like disturbing images of like dismembered screaming children. Uh, some of the images in the tweet thread are like pretty, pretty gross. So if people look at this, like uh, I think most of it's like flagged for content. So you have to click yeah. the button to show, but just be aware that some of the stuff is like, like there's one particular image uh, in the thread that like I couldn't get out of my head for like a week. Like it, it genu- genuinely felt like a, like a Langsford Basilisk. And I was like something I was joking about um, that I think we're like rapidly, uh, <laughs> because of AI research, I think we're, we're rapidly hurtling towards an AI accidentally generating a Langford Basilisk. Um, <laughs> Explain to people what that is. So it's a Langford Basilisk is a uh, term that was coined by the uh, British, sci-fi, uh, British sci-fi author David Langford wrote a short story called Blit, uh, B-L-I-T. Um, and in that story, basically like AI researchers accidentally stumble across um, basically like an image within the Mandelbrot like fractal um, that causes the human brain. It like basically causes the human brain to like lock up and kill itself. So if you see the image, like it like kills you like a basilisk or a Medusa or whatever. Mm. Um, and it becomes like a weapon of like terrorism in which like people will like spray paint the stencil on, on like walls and stuff and like multiple you know it's like a bombing like people will see it and just like instantly die um and because of that it like there there's like it's no longer legal to have like television like there's no more broadcast there's no more like images on the internet like internet is like text only and it's like strictly wow. strictly controlled and stuff because like images have become so dangerous and there's like multiple other basilisks that are like uh, uh, that are like found and it, it's a really cool story you can find it online uh, I think on Langford's website you can find it it's super short really cool read there's actually like a like two kind of like sequel stories to it that I've read um, that are also super cool hmm. um, but yeah so that when, is the most Delta green thing I've heard of that's not from Delta green like an image yes. that 
and it's like all modern day. That's that's wild. Yeah, <laughs> isn't the Delta Green stuff largely drawn from uh, the Laundry series of books? It's very similar. Yeah, yeah, the Laundry Files. Yeah, yeah. So, so the Laundry Files is they they refer. There's like actually like a weaponized Langford Basilisk in that series okay. of novels and stuff. So yeah, that's probably where they got it from. Yeah, well, there's a Delta Green scenario called the Last Equation that basically is that, but it's it's a it's a number essentially that, that yeah it to people. yeah, and it's 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 an idea that it's not like a super unique idea. I mean. It's also part of uh, Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash, um, okay. where there's like, you know, just sort of a, a set of instructions that the human mind cannot process. You know, on some level, I think it, it, it looks at the human mind in, in too material, in too much of like a material mechanistic computer kind of way, right? Like the brain isn't a computer. And the idea that, you know, you could give it instructions that it couldn't process is maybe, maybe not really thinking in a great way about, about the human brain, but the idea itself is evocative. Um, but I mean, when I looked at stuff like the LOAB images, I mean, some of these really are like what I think like in the SCP stuff, they call it could cognito hazards, like images that you like can't get out of your head that you like stew on. And I think it's just fascinating that there were like the way that this entity basically lives within the latent space of this AI's like learning like machine learning and that it, it basically infects any image you combine it with in a way that's like unmistakable and I know when I looked over the thread and, and was like reading it I I mean I got like super super wigged out because part of me was thinking like is this something utilizing this medium to manifest you know in the world like are, are we tapping on the glass <laughs> you know are we making a huge mistake even talking about this or like looking at it? Like, are we letting it in a little too much? Um, that's interesting. Yeah. And that, that's kind of why I, I wanted to talk to Soraya and then like get the show together because I, I talked to some other like magically operant people that I know and other people didn't, it didn't seem to bother them as much or they thought that it was maybe a bit overblown or just sort of like maybe misunderstanding how these generative like it, art programs work. But I don't know. I can't shake the feeling that there's like something extremely bad going on here. Yeah. I mean, we won't really know until something happens, I guess. But... <laughs> until we all just like open up our computers one day, see, uh, an image of a parrot and drop dead. Oh my god! But 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 what can we do in the meantime with this that that could be productive in in that realm of things? In the realm of I mean I guess for lack of a better word I would just call it magic. But that sort of thing, if anything. Well, I don't necessarily think engaging with whatever this is is productive. Uh, but I do think that there is an interesting avenue for magicians and like generative AI art and and using it to um, let's say like maybe. Manifest, manifest communication, I guess, with entities. Similar to how I've utilized the Estes method in like ritual magic that I've done, where I've I've used it as a means for the spirit to, uh, you know, a, like a specific spirit to communicate uh, with me while I'm doing the ritual uh, through through a scryer. Um, and in that case, you're basically utilizing this noise as raw material for a spirit to influence. Yeah. And, and 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 manifest or speak through it. So in the case of the generative AI art, it could be like a new type of like black mirror, right? Like a new way for a spirit to like visually manifest utilizing prompts. I mean, like it's something that I haven't had a chance to play around with a lot myself. I know some other people uh, in the chat, like in the Word of the Road Go Slack have talked about, you know, using mid journey and stuff like that. I still need to actually set some stuff up and, and, and try to actually use it. But uh, do you, any of you other guys have any access or like uh, experience with generative AI art? I, I played with one for a few minutes and that was about it. <laughs> I, I, you, Nathan, I know you were maybe working on some stuff in the same vein as what I'm going into. 
You there, Nathan? Are you muted, Nathan? It's not muted. Mm, it's not muted. What about you, Taylor? Have you, have you yeah, been around? I've been playing around with it. Um, you know, I... Oh, man. So I, I I think the first thing I made with it was coming back to it, um, the King in Yellow. I wanted to sort of find out what it would do if I gave it that sort of a prompt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have done some kind of just artistic stuff. I tried making some tarot cards. I tried making some you know generic landscapes. Um, and then uh, fairly recently, I've started to use it to experiment with Stuff I could do for um, creating art for uh, that that Delta Green podcast I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the stuff that I've tried has come out pretty uh, pretty normal, I guess. Uh, a lot of it, as I'm sure you guys have seen, is is pretty janky looking, like yeah. you know whatever. But um, I actually, as we're talking here, I just ran through. Um, I think the prompt I gave it was just the spirit of Hermes, and uh, just to see what would happen and. <laughs> Uh, it produced some, I don't know, somewhat interesting images. Um, one of them looks like it's a boat, but hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of it. It's it's interesting. I think that there's a lot of potential for using these kinds of technologies um, to to sort of do different things with magical ideas or or whatnot. I just don't know what yet. Yeah, it's part of part of what I've been trying to wrap my brain around is that what the AI can generate is based on whatever it is like learned on, like whatever data set it's been given to learn with. Um, so in some cases, like the LOAB images aren't made out of anything that didn't already exist, right? Like it, it's pulling it from somewhere, somewhere it learned this in its data set is you know, unless it is truly anomalous and just, you know, appeared ex, ex nihilo. But um, that is something that we'll have to think about when we're actually trying to utilize this for magic in that it's only going to be able to pull like what it knows. You know, it's it, the generative art isn't really creating anything. It's just right. taking stuff that it's seen and like mashing it together. Right. Um, but in ways that can become interesting and like internally consistent to like it, its own brain. Like I mentioned before with the um, the language thing, like I had seen some people who had uh, like a thread where people had generated like some images of like um, they had found that there was like a word that they, the AI would generate that would also appear in other images. And it seemed to be a word that described something that flew like birds or flying insects. And they were able to sort of like figure out different words that this AI had created uh, that it had associated with particular things. They couldn't really figure out why, um, but it was like it was creating its own language. I get the impression that with something like that, we're we're looking at that wrong. Like it's, uh, you know, it, it seems like if an AI is doing something like that, I, I would expect it not to be um, creating a language as if, you know, as, as we might talk about language, but yeah. doing some other almost cognitive process that seems to, you know, utilize words or whatever it is that's, yeah, but I don't, I have no idea what it could be. Um, but the thing I was going to say too, uh, uh, to your earlier point about the, uh, uh, these things sort of appearing like low ab, I wonder if, if, I def I definitely think there's like a magical component to this or you know this some type of you know metaphysical thing but you wonder too if just in a prosaic sense that once this once they started posting about this and then people started to use Midjourney or different AI systems and and we're feeding this into the prompts to see if they could find Loab that it's not fed into this feedback loop of the AI platform favoring that particular algorithm yeah somehow right and so in a sense it's like the proliferation of this entity right 
and the and the actual growth of the entity into something more and more powerful is being fed by us as observers and as people prompting it to give us that entity over and over again and then feeding more and more information and variables into it you know um yeah kind of building building its dictionary of that thing right yeah so uh but but one of the things we've been working on with mid-journey is um and this is like a super simple concept but um Darian, my research partner, West, um, he had created this software called ChannelBot that I think we've talked about before. But it's um, so it's, it takes a text like a, a basic te- text like uh, the Book of Law or right now we've got uh, FBI, <laughs> you know, like re- released FBI files about uh, Alexander Guterma, right? Uh, the Mr. X and Penny Royal in there that it that it selects words from. But you can use the original thing he used was uh, the Book of Law. And so um, it uses random.org uh, r- uh, randomness to create the uh, Shannon entropy thresholds, like the actual uh, thresholds of how random uh, things are, sort of <laughs> where you are. We were using a um, uh, Raspberry Pi and some of the um, variations in heat off of it, uh, which was actually truer randomness than the randomness provided by ran- random.org. But but that anyway, that blew my mind that you could find randomness from the temperature. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. and there's lots of sources like that, right? To to pull from to get true truer true. randomness. Otherwise, it's just pseudo random. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just pseudo. And, and so what it's using right now is pseudo randomness. Um, and then there's also the there at one point too he had patched into some of the API stuff that was open for the what is it the quantum computer in Australia, but ultimately he uses the uh, random.org. Because if you the API for the computer in Australia that is true randomness, if they get too many requests in uh, a short amount of time, it'll block you. And so, you know, <laughs> when we we're having people test out the channel bot thing, it was shutting down. So anyway, he, he settled on random.org, which I think uses some weather uh, data uh, as as the source of randomness. But uh, you set an intention with ChannelBot and ask a question, or it's the same thing as, as maybe using um, the sigil engine, where you set an intention to create the sigil, or you know just ask a question, and then it will go through. It has a set a threshold, and it will go through 33 iterations. And any time it sets on a word and randomness drops below the Shannon entropy threshold that you've set it'll select that word and channel that word, right? So over the 33 iterations, you'll end up, depending on how um, how precise you want the randomness to be, it will uh, generate statements. Um, so you can do a lot of like trying to channel and ask questions in, in sort of a, uh, pseudo divinatory, uh, you know, software. Uh, and it's, and it's produced some like weird results. Uh, one time we had 20 people using it at the same time. And then we were watching the back end because he had fed it into Slack. And so every time someone generated a statement, it threaded those statements in Slack. And so as he and I watched it, there were things that correlated between different people's statements that were forming a third sort of layer into what we were looking at. So, um, so anyway, we've done some things like that. And so I told him, I was like, Hey, I've been experimenting with the mid journey AI stuff and generating, you know, artwork, artwork from text. So I told him, I was like, what if we port, you know, you set your intention, you ask your question, it generates the statement. 
And then that is imported into the prompt in, in the Midjourney AI. And so it actually generates an image that's associated with this channeled statement, right? It's sort of the, sort of like a, uh, the instrumental, you know, transcommunication, the ITC stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with like TVs and you know, pointing the, the video camera at the TV and it creates this image and you're looking for things in the image. Um, so yeah, so we've started to experiment with that um, a little bit, but only in the last couple of weeks, and and that's going to be part of my presentation for uh, the Strange Realities Conference is going to be about some of this stuff that we're working on to try to integrate uh, randomness and divination with uh, the AI generated uh, artwork, which it would be cool to try out some of the uh, you know AI generated video stuff also using. Um, these uh, randomly or these channeled statements, uh, you know, through randomness. Yeah, that's exactly the kind of stuff that I'm curious about. The sort of the the creative uses of this stuff. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Keep it up. That's weird. I mean, it's weird. I, I did do this. So I uh, someone had suggested we were talking about this on on our one a live stream we were doing earlier this week, and um, someone had mentioned actually creating a sigil using you know Darren Mason's sigil engine, and then feed that into the uh, into mid journey. And so I did that and I set an intention about, uh, the white lily cult stuff that we were talking about before we got on air. Right. And it generated the sigil and I fed the sigil into it and the image it generated from the sigil was this crazy beam of light coming out of this like forested area as, uh, it looked like the Kentucky Anomaly kind of stuff. I'll post it. It's super weird. I was like, it makes sense for exactly what I asked the thing, right? Um, and all it had to go off of was that sigil. And uh, it's it's very, very interesting. Yeah, that's, that's pretty weird. <laughs> I'm going to put it in the chat so you guys can see it. <laughs> So, hmm, you know, I've never had any luck incorporating magic with any kind of electronics. Why, why do you think that is? I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to work for me. What are some examples? Like, can you, what have you tried? Anything from, you know, using, uh, like, you know, tarot card apps or anything like that, or even digitally creating sigils, like, like not having something created for me, but using, you know, like uh, Photoshop or something to create a sigil. It doesn't, it doesn't work the same for me. I, yeah, I can kind of see that. Like none of the magical tools that I make or sigils or anything like that, that I make, um, are digital. I, I do everything physically, like with, with physical materials. Um, I think most of the way I've utilized technology in, in magic is utilizing the technology itself as a, like a raw material or a medium of communication, mm. you know, like providing the static that it needs to to form. Um, but I don't know. I, you know, I, I like the sigil engine stuff. I think it's cool, but I've never personally used it. I'm a little dubious about it because I think part of the sigil magic process lies in the creation of the sigil, Yeah, uh, you know, with your hands, yeah. you know, like physically writing the words down on a piece of paper, crossing out the letters and everything, you know? Yeah. When I don't do sigils like that, I mean, I, to me, they're, they're very inspired designs. 
Yeah. But it's still like anytime I incorporate anything electronic, it just, I, I, you know, I even tried after making a sigil, I scanned it and then used the, you know, reprinted it and then used that and it, it didn't, didn't have any effect. Yeah, I could see that. And I think that, that kind of, it's back to, uh, that sort of feeling of needing to, um, you know, it's like the, the act of drawing it or writing it out or, or spending that kind of artistic energy. energy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It has, you know, I mean, it, it imbues it literally with that sort of thing. Whereas if you're scanning it and making copies of it it's not quite the same I, I will say though you know i don't obviously everybody experiences these things differently uh, i've done uh, a small amount of i guess what i would call like sigil magic um using adobe illustrator um, and that has uh i would say maybe a quarter uh, of the time been as effective as like drawing stuff um, hmm. in terms of feel, in terms of you know I and mean, most of the stuff was like broad kind of conceptual stuff it wasn't like specific um, targeted sigils like i might do you know but to do that i usually draw it and burn it but, um, right right what do you normally uh, make them out of sir how do you normally draw the paint? Uh, no, pencil. Pencil, okay. Yeah. I find pencil works better than pen. Interesting. Yeah, don't know why, but over the years, I'm just like, yep, pencil's the, the thing that has the, it seems to connect the best. But even doing like, you know, like I said, tarot card apps and stuff like that, they, they're not even remotely accurate. And yeah. you would think there there's, should be the same level of randomness in, in play, but maybe not because it's not physical. It's not, you know, picking up your energy the same way. Yeah, it's like, is there something, is there some something intangible um, about the material itself, like actually touching it with your physical hands? That Damn. Said. Yeah, and I, I also don't know if it's necessarily like when it, when it comes to um, the randomness. I think you know part of it is is just that sort of energy of it. That sounds weird or whatever, but I don't know. Like it's it's specificity and it's intention and stuff that it kind of plays into it. it. It needs humans to complete the circuit, you know. <laughs> you kind of like, right, yeah. You know, physically touch the thing. I mean, so what do you guys think about? Because we I think we've chatted about this before, you know, um, just in private conversations. But the idea that AI or some type of iterative slash generative uh, platform could run uh, magical, you know, run, run magical rituals or ceremonies in sort of this closed digital, you know, sphere. I mean, is it possible to 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 create ma ceremonial magic as an algorithm and have a computer run it or an AI run it and actually have an effect generated by that? Or does it just it absolutely requires a living, breathing human being. I, I think it would inherently be a very different thing um, than what we know of as, as like ceremonial magic, for instance. But that's the kind of stuff that I'm interested in trying to, to see, you know, does does this do something? Um, my guess is uh, probably eventually we'll be able to do that. Well, think of it this way. If you built a perfect mannequin puppet replica of yourself and you program that little replica to do a ritual, say the words, make the movements, do everything in the physical world, do you think that it would have the same effect as you doing it? No, no. Because that's what AI is. It's a puppet. Right. I don't know if it's quite the same thing. I, I see your analogy, but I don't know. I guess the way that I look at the, this, you know, using AI or using computers or, or machines to do this kind of thing would be a, sort of a wholly different thing. Maybe maybe it's like a puppet in that way, but, you know, I feel like even then it's got its own, it's got its own spirit to it, you know? It does. I mean, the, well, I think the, the weird thing, the interesting thing to me would be, um, and I don't think we have any way to measure this, but does it have meaning or, or, or efficacy to the machine? Yeah. Well, do, do, do machines perceive meaning like we do? They just, they just process data. I mean, the, the, the element for me is, maybe this is just my own personal cosmology, but I think that in order to do magic, you need to have a soul. 
right? And yeah. in order to have a soul, you need to be able to dream and have an imagination and and create. Like your soul is what gives you the ability to create things. And this isn't necessarily limited in my conception to like organic life. I think things like a river can have a soul or a mountain can have a soul. Sure. Like yeah. I have an animistic view of this where it's not necessarily organic life. And I, I think lots of animals and plants and, and mushrooms and all different kinds of things dream. We just they just don't dream like we do. And so they have souls and can theoretically, at least in my conception of it, do magic. But I don't know if that extends to like a program, right? Because the program isn't sentient. Like I think like magic requires sentience and a program isn't sentient. A program is taking instructions and like it's taking input and, and producing output based on its own like internal programming. And we, our physical bodies do that, but that's like separate from what we would conceive of as our soul, right? Right, right. So that's, that's why I had the analogy of a, of a program or an AI or whatever being a puppet. Like it's a, it's a mannequin. It's not, um, it doesn't have that divine spark, you know? But there, there's, there's also the concept of the ghost and the machine that, that things are more like, like us, you yeah. know, yeah, we have that physical body, but there's something more than the physical body, which is why science can't explain what we are, can't explain consciousness, etc. Is it possible to create a machine that's complex enough to create that, to, to leave an opening for that ghost in the machine? Well, it's, it's tough because like I, you know, there is, the, there is a contradiction in what I'm, I'm saying here uh, in that if I believe in an animist world in which, you know, it's not necessary to be organic, to have a soul or a spirit, it is entirely possible that like, I think it's entirely possible the hardware of a computer could become yes. a spirited, similar yeah. to like a talisman, right? Like, because remember, Computers are made of, of metal and crystals, right? True. So it's possible that the, the silicon itself could be inhabited by a spirit that could utilize the machine to do things. But it's not the program. It's not the, the written instructions of the programs that is doing it. It's the spirit living within the silicon. Kind of, but but it is the program, right? So so you can't separate the two. You, you, you hardware and, and the program you write on it, the software, because it runs, um, I mean, I guess, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what binary is like with flash these days but the you know the kind of the the, the core of it when you really boil it down is essentially switches right and those are still yeah. what's that it's logic gates yeah. yeah yeah exactly and those are still physical things that have to happen in the world even if they're happening on you know a microprocessor um or, or what have you but that's that's kind of where i'm thinking you know because those things are made of you know silicon and and gold and and all these other things that are part of our world are are alive i think that we do this thing with computers where we abstract the the concept of here you know i've, I've got a program i've got an app i've got whatever we mm -hmm. we abstract that from what it really is which is essentially you know instructions lots of instructions programmed in in binary you know at the end of the day and uh executing those instructions to do something that you know produces a result like displaying pixels on a screen in a certain way or you know whatever and and we look at the the surface of it and sort of take it for for being what it is but we miss what it actually is and i think that what it actually is is alive or, or capable of being alive in in somewhat of the same way that you might talk about a river or a mountain or 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 what have you being alive in that animist kind of way something something too that i was thinking about with us talking about this is 
like surveillance technology, right? Um, in the sense that like AI that are scanning through, you know, millions of people's faces on all of these cameras and various you know, places trying to look for someone like sort of the surveillance porn of, uh, <laughs> of all the recent films, you know, the, the born films and all that, you know, where it's like, um, uh, you know, people looking at screens and trying to track people down. But I was just thinking that if, if you think of, of consciousness and sentience involving is this is what I think of specifically about humans is that there's that, that level of the, the second order cybernetics angle where the observer is observing that action. Right. And there's this feedback loop. And then it's like the system is aware that the observers observing the system. So is it possible in these AI on these AI platforms, especially in terms of surveillance, where they're specifically observing things and looking for data that that suddenly the platform or system is aware of itself observing these things? And then that begins to exponentially spiral through millions and millions of these, you know, algorithms that are running in these iterations that suddenly this thing explodes like a, an atomic bomb into sentience, right? Through these millions of observations of itself and these other entities, right? Um, how how do you know. define sentience in this situation? Me personally? There are, sure. I guess, yeah, I would define it as awareness of yourself as an observer in a system. Okay. That is aw- that is aware of you, right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. I get you. you know, it, what, what about like the idea of a spirit trying to inhabit a complex machine you know, yeah, or manipulate I, it the I, same way we can? We can. I mean, there's plenty of studies that people can manipulate random number number generators and stuff with with their with their mind. So, if there's a spirit out there unattached to a body, could it inhabit a complex enough system? I, I would be surprised if that's not already happening to some degree. You know, and, and like I think when it comes to people who affect technology, right? Um, you know, uh, make a computer malfunction by being near it or whatever. Maybe that's an electrical thing. Maybe you know, maybe it's you know electromagnetic or or whatever. But you know, there's also um, you know situations where uh, something seems to have a mind of its own, right? And maybe that's somebody interacting with it psychically in, in some unforeseen way. But I could also see it very easily being some external thing doing that. One of the one, one of the sci-fi things that always drives me crazy is when you uh, when they just basically break down into oh we're just going to transfer your your brain into this computer. <laughs> And then every you'll just be you, but you'll be in the computer as if the as if it's just data, you know. And there's nothing more to it. Like Soma. Soma. Oh, Soma. Yes, yes, exactly like Soma. <laughs> as much as I liked Soma, and that and Soma brought us brought up some really fascinating questions. It's such a sci-fi trope, you know. Like yep. we'll we'll just map your brain onto this, and and this digital thing will hold your brain just like your organic one did. Yeah, it's. I mean. It's have you have fetched. you guys have you guys looked at or seen any of these articles about the um, oh it's like social media like the talking to your grandmother where the where it, 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 the Alexa will basically data mine calls from here that you can submit audio of of a dead loved one no and then it will it will start to like you know it'll talk to you it'll tell you stories and. It's it's your grandmother's voice, right? Is there a Black Mirror episode about that? <laughs> I mean, now it's a reality, and a lot of people thought that that was sort of uh, you know tone deaf in many ways. You know, yeah. like who would really want that, right? Um, but you know, that's using not AI, but necessarily, but but definitely these high powered data mining, um, you know, platforms to be able to model things like that and create sort of a 
auditory deep fake, right? But I'm sure it could create a, a you know, an image deep fake of your grandmother also talking to you through a screen. But and then and then you get into the sort of uh, these platforms being able to watch all of your social media posts for decades. Yeah. And then when you die, you can you can just set it on, you know, like after your death, it knows the kinds of things you post and the picture. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like it could model itself so that it could keep you going uh, <laughs> after your death, right? Huh. It, that it's so creepy to me though. It is creepy. <laughs> I'm not even sure if but, creepy is quite the right word. Disturbing. It is disturbing. Think about that. If you could have a posthumous self through social media, right? That still makes everyone feel like you're still around, kind of. Yeah. You know? That is, uh, I think, the the Black Mirror episode. They create basically these androids that... Um, so the, in, in the episode, uh, this woman's you know boyfriend or, or whatever dies in like an accident. And then she basically orders a robot version of him that's reconstructed from his social media. And it's like, it's just super creepy. Like the whole thing is just, it's disturbing. I think how, how close it is to actually being like this person was. And it goes some pretty dark places because it's Black Mirror. <laughs> there, there's a podcast called The Subjective Truth, which is actually quite good. And they have these fake commercials in there. Um, and one of them is about these boxes that you can talk to your loved ones through, like your deceased loved ones. And I forget what they're called, but it's kind of like when you turn it on, a soul will inhabit it. And maybe it'll be one of your lost, you know, your, your, your lost relatives. And the... <sighs> They end up incorporating this into the actual story, and it's like you know, at one case, uh, this this woman, you know, she's in the in someone's house and she hears a baby, and she's like, "Do you have a baby?" She's like, "No, don't worry about that," you know. And finally, she finds out that it's the soul of this baby trapped in the box, Ugh. and she's like, "I should I should just turn it off and let it go," but I I kind of like having it, you know. And another woman had like four or five of them, and they would just sit in the room and talk to each other all day long. <laughs> oh, God. It's creepy, uh, and 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 they weren't like AI generated. They were they were supposedly the actual souls of actual these people, souls. like sort of reincarnating yeah. into these boxes as their their last personality. Yeah, it's that's, weird. That's wild. Yes. Well, what you know, one of the things I'm I'm going to be talking about at Strange Realities is about the the way that spirit communication has, uh, or people trying to speak to the dead has mirrored techno the growth of uh, communication technologies, right? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, whenever the telegraph emerged, we were using the telegraph to to uh, communicate wireless the same way. The telephone, there were, uh, you know, tele um, they were called uh, f- uh, phone, phone voyance is what they were. They were like psychics that would help you um, call your dead ones using the really? phone. And obviously, you know, Edison tried to create something. Yeah. And so yeah. just, just mapping out those kinds of things. But, you know, when you get to the, the realm of, uh, like Jorgensen, the guy that captured the first modern sort of EVPs on an electronic recorder, um, he's, you know, reporting that there's a female voice telling him how to, how to do the recordings and how to set up the recordings in order to increase the, the veracity or the fidelity of the channel of communication. Really? Right. And yeah. And so that, that was the strange part of it's like, is, you know, is this thing that's communicating with him, telling him to put the recorder, you know, it's a, a tape recorder um, near a radio and turn the radio to a certain frequency at a certain time of day. Right. 
and then to hit record on the tape recorder and then he then he's able to receive the messages better and so he ends up recording like tons and tons of stuff and it gets into uh recordings of his dead father and other family members but then later recordings um the entities that are coming through are uh you know he's you know um, uh, went through world war ii so hitler and you know churchill and everything the voices start saying that's who they are, that, that he's communicating with Hitler. He's communicating with, you know, Churchill. And so um, then you wonder, is it is that type of communication not secure? And are there entities that are hacking or hijacking those channels of communication? Right. Um, and so I've been looking at all of that stuff and wondering, you know, are people dead or are they simply some type of intelligence, you know, some some other intelligences that are that are sort of being tricksters in a sense and uh, wearing masks to communicate with us. But if you carry that forward into and it happened with satellite technology, it's happened with, you know, the Doddleston messages uh, with the BBC one computer, you know, and, no. and so it like. Well, so you see, keep going forward, and now we've got all this AI. What are and the Donaldson so, messages? Uh, the Donaldson messages is this crazy story uh, by a guy named Ken Webster. He wrote a book called The Vertical Plane. And uh, um, in the Donaldson messages, he gets an early home computer. Um, okay. I think this is like, I think 1981. Anyway, it's a BB, It's called a BBC One. And at night, he had left the computer on, and at night, this um, these words appeared on the computer in, in I think it's Middle English. And he's, he's living in a, a cottage that's like 800 years old or 600 years old, you know, and, you know, really, really old English cottage. And he thinks the place is haunted, and he keeps seeing these messages appear. And so, you know, to make the story short, this guy that lived in the house, you know, whatever, four or five hundred, however many centuries earlier, is seeing a, a this like green ball with words appear. And so as he speaks words, the words appear on this this screen, which then are appearing in the present time on Ken Webster's computer. And he starts to interact with this guy. And he even has as the messages has the messages analyzed by uh, a scholar of Middle English. And the guy's like, there's no way unless you were, you know, a PhD scholar could could you even reproduce this? Well, as he's interacting with this this guy in the 16th century or whatever, um, another group of entities come through calling themselves 2109 from the future. And at one point are telling him not to trust the guy in the past. And then I think another group comes through that's 2105 that says you can't listen to 2109. So he's communicating through this computer with these, uh, with a, a guy who's in the past with these intelligences in the future. And, um, and then later other people that had a BBC one, reported similar types of communications so hmm. i've always wondered what that particular computer if there was some type of circuit in it that made it unique and allowed for some type of again you know instrumental you know trans communication some it you know itc but um but there you have a computer you know once com personal computers emerge then there are these intelligences attempting to contact us and then now we have AI and uh, this whole new world of, of information technologies and channels of communication. And so it just seems natural that if there are intelligences or entities that are trying to communicate with us, or at least taking advantage of the ability to communicate with us, um, 
that that it would be an emergent sort of property of of, of AI technology. Hmm. I don't know. The low ab stuff makes me, you know, definitely makes me think that there's some type of a ghost in the machine sort of or some yeah. something trying to communicate. Well, you know, with a lot of this stuff too, you you can't rule out unconscious psychic influences from us. Just like po- basically poltergeist True. activity affecting the the stuff around us. Um, yeah, we wouldn't be conscious of it because we're not conscious when we create poltergeist activity. Uh, you know, whatever part of us is doing that, it's it's and it sounds like the type of stuff you'd get with poltergeist activity where it just starts getting crazier and crazier. So, uh, Nathan, that when you had mentioned, um, that sort of, uh, the, with Hitler and Churchill and, and, you know, could these, could some kind of spirits be, you know, taking over this or, or, or inhabiting this system in order to, you know, um, claim to be something else or somebody else. Um, that reminded me of, um, the types of, you know, when when doing ceremonial magic, there is a uh, I don't know if I would say worry, but definitely um, a concern or a factor where you want to make sure that what you're conjuring is who you think it is. Right? Ren can probably speak more to this, but there are checks in place in those types of, of systems to to sort of you know make certain. I don't think that there would be anything easy, you know, to to try to do it with a. Um, you know, an AI or anything like that. But I don't know. What are your thoughts well, on that? Sorry, Nathan, if you got something, go ahead. Well, yeah, go the ahead. only thing, I, the only thing I was going to say is that um, I mean that that's kind of part of the presentation. The angle that I'm looking at is you know the planchette and that type of divination uh, before talking boards, right? Before Ouija boards, the um, uh, Chinese in I think this was the 900 AD were using uh, a type of divination. Uh, it was the first use of the planchette, and it was called Fuji. And so I think that it was five or six human operators, and there were priests that were part of the operation. And so they would use this planchette with sand um, that was dangling from a rope to draw characters. So it was sort of like a, a cross of automatic writing with a Ouija board. And But these people were very skilled in what they were doing and were trying to make sure that... that the communication that was coming through um, was a real communication, right? That they were actually interacting with what they were trying to interact with. Right. So in my mind, a practice like that or a tech, you know, a folk technology like that is more of a secure form of information right? or a secure form of communication than, say, a bunch of people just using a Ouija board but not using any type of magical circles or any type of ritual or ceremony to try to protect themselves from having that channel of communication hacked or taken over. Right. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I wonder if, you know, like ceremonial magic definitely is allowing you to have a more secure form of communication. And then when people just have the chance to, to, to just try to communicate with whatever they want, however they want. Uh, a lot of times the intelligences that they interact with uh, mess with them, right? And, and there's a, the trickster element emerges. Yeah, it's less about security and more about efficacy. Um, because like, look, if you want to use a Ouija board, it all depends on what you use, like what you do with what you're told, right? Um, because there's spirits everywhere and they want to talk because they're bored. <laughs> you know, some of them are bored. Some of them have agendas. Some of them want to do certain things that they need people as con like to act as conduits for 
But, you know, like if you just want to like get together with your friends and do a spirit box or do a Ouija board and just like freak yourself out, um, like that's fine, you know, but maybe don't like necessarily believe anything that you get. Like you can't trust anything that you get through a method like that, you know, especially if they start telling you that, you know, you're the chosen one and that you need to start a cult and move out to the desert and all that kind of stuff, like probably not the best course of action um when you're the purpose of, of all the the controls on this and like solomonic magic for example like when you call the spirit you're supposed to test it you know you, you bind the spirit you prevent it from leaving once it's conjured once it's conjured you ask it questions you interrogate it basically to make sure that you're talking to who you think you're talking to you know that you've conjured who you think you've conjured um and that's mainly it's not because uh it's like can be dangerous or anything like that it's just that like spirits have different uh, offices you know in, in like solomonic magic for for instance so like if you're calling a spirit because you need a specific thing done and that, that's the other thing too like real magic is about getting things done it's not about just like talking to spirits or whatever it's about like you need something done you need a change in the physical world carried out through a spirit's offices um and if you're calling a spirit that has a specific office that you need done like uh, i don't know like uh you know you you need a tower built or you need to cause an earthquake whatever like agares does um if you don't make sure like if, if you're trying to, to make that earthquake happen and you call up the spirit uh and it's not Agares. It might pretend to be uh, because it's gonna, you know, try to get whatever offerings you're you're gonna get or whatever you're gonna you're gonna try to apply the spirit with. Um, and it's not gonna actually carry out the instructions because it can't. It doesn't have the, the power that Agares has, right? You have to make sure that you're talking to the spirit you think you're talking to because otherwise, it's probably what you want to get done is not gonna happen, you know, because you're not talking to the right guy. It's like it's like you're calling a, you know, you're just calling a random number and you get. You need plumbing work done in your house, right? And you call up some person, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm totally a plumber," and they, but they don't they don't know anything about plumbing. Um, <laughs> and if you don't know anything about plumbing, and they come over and do a bunch of stuff, it may look like it's going to work, but you know, it's it's better to make sure that you you know who you're talking to simply to make sure that like the magic works properly. Well, um, let's let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back and continue this conversation. I want to thank everyone that listens to this show, that is hearing this, uh, that has supported us in any way. And I particularly want to give a shout out to those Patreons pledging $10 or more. Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, CJ, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Anne Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, Christopher Ernst, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., Edu Camahort, MTK, Eric Todd, James Lattimore, Jim Pyre, Joanna Rojas, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Craig Cicernos, James Lindsay, Jay, Greg Sagstumi, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupree, Sam Sharon, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Vincent Trewell, 
Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Stephen D., and Amber Hall. Also a special extra shout-out to Vincent Trewell, who does all the recaps of the shows that get posted on the website and YouTube. I thank you all so very, very much. This show would not be what it is without you. You can go to WhereDidTheRoadGo.com for everything Where Did The Road Go related. All the links to our social media, our Twitter, Patreon, YouTube, Facebook, Discord, everything. Everything is up there, as is every show since the very first show in January of 2013. You can download them all. There's plenty of other material to look through as well, and it's all at WhereDidTheRoadGo.com. Follow us on Facebook, join the Facebook group, join the Discord, talk to us. If you want to contact me, the three main emails are contact at WhereDidTheRoadGo.com for general things. Stories at WhereDidTheRoadGo.com if you want to send us some stories for our listener stories show. Booking at WhereDidTheRoadGo.com if you want to come on the show because you're an author or a researcher and want to talk about your work. Those are the best ways to get in touch. So I am I am here with Nathan Isaacs, Ren Collier, and Taylor Bell, and we've been talking about uh, spirits and magic and AI. And one of you was about to say something before the break. Oh, uh, well, I, I did want to go into something that like Taylor had asked a question about. You guys have been talking about about the idea of these entities utilizing these ways. Uh, Utilizing these mediums as a way to, to manifest in the world or like communicate. In my more paranoid moments, I get into a very Nick Redfern final events kind of feeling about some of the stuff where, uh, you know, I just said before the break, like if you want to talk to spirits in your Ouija board, like feel free. Um, on the other hand, maybe don't. Um, because sometimes I do worry that like there are big, ugly, scary things out there that are always trying to like find a crack in, right? And Sure, yeah. Magicians are uniquely qualified to deal with this kind of stuff because we have a framework through which we can protect ourselves and mitigate, I guess, collateral damage. But most normal people don't have any of that, right? And that's where you get, you know, like uh, all UFO cults and mm. things like that popping up. And in that some sense, that mimetic virus idea that I've talked about in the past um, can manifest in its most malicious form, where it does become sort of a mind virus that is spread amongst a population. Um, and in a way, it, it, it like allows for a, a uh, an entity to break into our world, I guess. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe that's too paranoid. I don't know what you guys think about that. But sometimes I wonder, like, if we really shouldn't be tapping on the glass or, like, the majority of people should not be tapping on the glass here. That's that's tough. You know, it's hard to... I, I understand what you're saying, and I, I agree in some capacity, um, but we're also human, right? Mm -hmm. And tapping on the glass is kind of... We can't help it. <laughs> that's, part of, that's part of the contract. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's part of the fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, and we've, we've backed ourselves into all kinds of corners, not to get too real, I guess, but like, you know, the nuclear bomb and all kinds of stuff that we probably shouldn't have done. Mm. And I think, I think in general, research into AI is probably a part of that. But here we are and it's going to, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. We can really just try to do the best we can in the moment to be responsible and, mm. you know, there are going to be people who are going to abuse it, and it might blow up in their faces. But um, I mean, I mean, think about it too. Like, but this was the same thing that people faced when they uh, heard the first recording of a human voice played back to them, right? Or 
you know, the first time someone talked to someone on a telephone or any of these things, it was like, oh, my God, what are we, you know, like, what are the what are the possibilities of where, where this could take the world? You know, um, I don't know. I wonder if, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if if for us, the AI just seems it's just like the possibilities are endless. Right. And yep. uh, and I think people in the past probably felt the same sort of um, technological terror, you know, that that was in front of them. I think yeah. I think too that if if we program machines smart enough, they'll figure out the biggest problem is us. <laughs> Obviously, that's been addressed on Sci-Fi many many times, but it's it's totally true. I mean, we're humans are the the ones who screw everything up. So at a certain point, if you give an AI too much control, it's going to be like, well, we get rid of the humans and everything will flow nicely. <laughs> yeah, that's why we need to do a Butlerian Jihad, guys. A what? <laughs> we got to take care of these thinking machines. Right. I didn't catch what you said, Ren. We got to do the Butlerian Jihad from Dune. We got to uh-huh. got to outlaw thinking machines. Butlerian, okay. <laughs> I have not uh, watched Dune or read Dune, so I'm I'm unfamiliar. <laughs> I heard Butlerian. Are, 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 are you guys familiar with the story of the the Gulf Breeze Six? Yes, they yeah. are. You know, they it, are the military guys who who went MIA and, and went to Gulf Breeze when the UFO flap was going on. Was that it? Yeah, but remember they it was a uh, they were using a Ouija board and communicating with some intelligence that told them to go AWOL yeah. and to do this, you know. Uh so that's another one of those like weird that's what I was like weird unsecured communication with the other world, you know. Or I mean they they were a part of the military, could it have been an experiment? Yeah, totally. Yeah. They were also like Christian fundamentalists too, and the thought that That's right. this was the end of the world. There's a great quote in an Associated Press article uh, where they ask the guy, did he think Jesus was going to arrive? You know, because they th- they were prepping for the end of the world, right? This this Ouija board was like, you've been chosen, you got to do this, and and so they thought they were they were going to go into hiding, and then after the rapture, um, they were going to come back and help. Re, uh, rebuilt society but there's a quote in the Associated Press where the, where the guy says they ask him well did you really think Jesus was going to show up on a um, in a UFO and he was like ma'am Jesus is Jesus he doesn't need a right? UFO <laughs> <laughs> fair crazy it's, nah, it's just so nuts man some of these stories oh and then they met up with what's his name um, behold a pill horse um, oh. or they wanted to meet up with him Bill Cooper yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then it was like right after that all happened Bill Cooper had his standoff with the cops and they you know shot him dead yeah over over something stupid wasn't it I was over a, a, a noise uh, noise complaints yeah. right? he had been he had been threatening people and the and the cops set him up though they had like a fake party to see if he would uh, come and threaten them and he did and then they like followed him back to his house and of course he's paranoid he was already paranoid and so um, he started shooting at them and shot one of the cops and then they returned fire so. wow <laughs> I guess I didn't realize they set him up they did set him up yeah they made it look like some teenagers partying at the end of his street, but it turned out to be the local, uh, I don't know if it was the local police or the sheriff's deputies, but wow. somebody was, you know. Well, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. <laughs> right? He was right in this, <laughs> in this situation, you know. Hmm. You know, someone pointed out to me that the Loab image looks very much like Ozzy Osbourne now. <laughs> kind of looks like I my mom. I think what freaked me out about it is that it kind of looks like my mom. <laughs> 
Interesting. <laughs> so your mom looks like Ozzy is what you're saying. A little bit. I mean, I kind of look like Ozzy a little bit. <laughs> you should have, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of me when I had like really long hair in high school. But I don't think so. Oh, yeah, I, I used see to that. get called Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Interesting. That's good. But I mean, what, 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 I mean, what, what do you think is, so in the end, what do you think is happening here? Do you think this is something haunting the internet or do you think it's just a feedback loop? I think it's um, both and both and um, yeah i don't know i really don't know i mean all i know is that i've got this gut reaction to it that makes me feel like i want to like run away and like not interact with it at all and then like warn people against further experimentation with it and you're not somebody who gets creeped out by this stuff easily not really i mean very few things like creep me out like this this has um i can really only think of one other thing in my life that made me feel as uncomfortable as this and and like that was also uh let's say a rather lovecraftian kind of entity so like whatever this this thing is i've at least got some sort of reaction to it other people have seemed to react differently to it it doesn't, um, it doesn't really phase me yeah so i i don't know maybe it's i don't know my own little personal azatoth that's like you know uh designed specifically to, to weird me out i don't know um <laughs> i mean it is you know my my friend uh will kind of explained to me how some of this machine learning works and how like the training works and stuff and he was one of the people that was sort of like uh, I guess less freaked out by it than I was um, and thought it had a more sort of mundane explanation. And part of me does wonder too, if it's like, I just don't understand this, this technology enough to understand if it is just mundane and I'm just like interpreting in a way that is, is totally out there. It's, it's really hard for me to say. Um, But I, you know, I, I'm a magician. I go on my instincts and I have a certain gut feeling about it. So at least personally, I'm not going to engage with it. Right. And what about the other two of you here? I feel like it's mostly a feedback loop. At least what what we're seeing right now, I think mechanically, um, that's probably what's going on. Um, sort of like, and I, Nathan, forgive me, I I don't have my head fully wrapped around the second order cybernetic stuff, but something about how this we we observed this system causing patterns, and it observed that we observed that, and then began pushing that pattern or something along those lines. I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, Tom, and that I mean that's I think that's part of I think that's part of it, but I I don't think that takes the um, the strangeness out of it, right? Because right. I think there's a um, there's a weird level of reality that we don't exist or that we don't understand in terms of existence that that I think all of this is a part of. Right. Um, and yeah, I just I, I think it involves, especially if the low ab stuff, I, I think it involves an element of the feedback loop. But that this entity, it's just like we were talking with hyperstitions, right? Now, like now that Loab exists, Loab always sort of existed. It was just waiting to be. Um, you know, to, to be manifested by this. Okay, ex- explain hyperstitions for people who don't, who have not heard that term before, Nathan. I mean, you know, the you know, in the most basic sense, you know, a fiction that becomes real. And I think you know that there are those kinds of things that uh, you know that people believe in. That you, you know, that, is it a thought form or is it is it something even stranger in terms of reality? You know, happening. Um, whenever we talk to uh, Elizabeth uh, Rowan Cabrales, who's this temporal uh, temporal philosopher at the University of Amsterdam, there was explaining that um, we were we were talking about Borges, right, and his whole idea of Ukbar, this fictional kingdom that existed, right, 
and um, there's I think it's a short story that he wrote um, about uh, them playing a prank on a friend where they inserted pages into an encyclopedia about a fake civilization, but then uh, items from that civilization began to appear, and eventually um, the reality of that civilization begins to uh, impinge and incur on their own reality. And so we were asking whether or not that was the first, you know, idea of hyperstition. And so it wasn't really in terms of the using the phrase hyperstition, but then, um, you know, the CCRU, um, or the Cybernetic Cultural uh, Research Unit, uh, Nick Land and Sadie Plant and that whole crew um, in England in the 1990s. A uh, group of philosophers, they really came up with the term hyperstition. So the way it was explained to us was Voorhees' concept was the first hyperstition, but it wasn't. It didn't exist until in the 1990s when the idea of a hyperstition ha- came into existence. And then it sort of retroactively became the first one, even though it happened first. Right. But it wasn't <laughs> until later. And so there's a lot of weird stuff like that in terms of these the belief that is put into this this concept and then that concept becoming a reality um and so you know with with the, the loab stuff it's like loab always existed but it could only manifest now specifically because of the stories that are being written and now people are investing um you know conscious capital um into to making it a reality but it always existed but it needed this moment to exist well yeah, like a, a simple example of like hyperstition would be like science fiction right like mm. science fiction about uh you know traveling in rocket ships to other worlds right kind of eventually leads to that actually happening so it's a fiction that that shapes the way we think about reality and eventually leads to the creation of itself um would you so would you say something like the pyramids on Mars showing up in comics and Doctor Who and stuff before anyone noticed pyramid shapes on Mars being in that category? Could be, yeah. I could see that as a as a hyperstitional kind of kind of thing. Like that 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 fiction ends up creating a its own reality. Um, what was it? I mean, uh, it, it can be taken in a sort of like, I don't know, like more magical way, which is, is I think the CCRU's take on it after they kind of went insane. Um, yeah. Partially like quite a lot of how we're looking at it. Um, but it can also be as simple as just the idea of memetics. Like, right? like an idea can change, like a, a fiction can completely change the course of history, you know? Like think of like religions as as hyperstitions, you know, like fictional things that completely change the course of human civilization. Sure, yeah, definitely. Oh, I've I've got another example that I, I recently like. We were doing research for um, another project, and I was uh, it was about deadly games and um, this idea of of games throughout history, you know, like the gladiator games, jousting, various things. And one of the ones I suggested was uh, Russian roulette, right? And it turns out that Russian roulette is a, a complete fiction, right? It, it never existed in, in terms of like being a game that the uh, Red Army played in World War One. You know, obviously it was never played in Vietnam. Um, and that was, the, you know, they protested the film. But, you know, Vietnam vets did because um, it took away from the real horrors that they suffered. But. Um, these you're the early. Hmm? You're talking about the deer hunter, right? Yeah, the deer hunter. Yeah, yeah. And and so, uh, um, but early on, there was a writer in the 1920s 
And then another writer in the 1940s um, who popularized the concept of Russian roulette as an actual thing that happened, but it didn't. But that fiction led to the actual proliferation of the game of Russian roulette as a reality, which has led to, I think, over 1,200 deaths in the U.S. alone from people playing. Right. So it's like it's a fiction that became a reality, but it's but it never truly existed. But now it does because people believe that it did, you know. Yeah. Wow. And this yeah. this ties a bit into you know some of the threads that I've been pulling over the last couple of years about hollow earth narratives and things like that. And that what's really going on is it seems like utilizing it was I think how do I put this in a way that doesn't sound completely insane? Um I go for it. <laughs> I think that the powers that were invested in shaping the course of culture and civilization. Um came to the realization, uh, and maybe they've always known this, but especially in the 60s and 70s, that utilizing uh, a culture's mythology as a vector for that control uh, in, in almost like a hyperstitional kind of way, um, like like a cybernetics way, right? You're like you're, you're sort of influencing how people interact with the world. Um, like a, as a concrete example of this, you can look at a lot of the like UFO mythology um, and read about Alan Dulles's uh, interest in UFOs. Um, Dulles wasn't necessarily interested in whether or not UFOs are real, um, but he was very interested in how they could be used uh, as a way to do mass psychology. Right. Uh, like how they could be, how those myths could be used to shape and guide a culture almost in visibly, which is, you know, what Jung goes on about in his Flying Saucer book, which I think influenced Dulles. Mm. Um, but I, I think, like, the idea of weaponized mythology and weaponized hyperstition is something that people have to be aware of. I, I think that's what I was trying to talk last year at my, my Strange Realities talk. I didn't really communicate this very effectively, but that, that's kind of what I was going on about, was that people have to be aware that that they are constantly coming into contact with like weaponized mythology. Yeah. And they need to be aware of that and know how to create their own mythologies and their own... They need to be like hyperstitionally operant in order to um, not allow themselves to be manipulated. Uh, like... They need to learn to program so they can't be programmed. Right, right. Because then you can recognize it. Exactly. But then you can also create your own reality too. Yeah. To uh, to fight against it. Yeah, that is that is very true. Um. So do, do you think that Loab could become a tulpa like Slenderman? Has it already? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> That's why I'm not engaging with it. Do you mean <laughs> other that, than that, doing this whole show on it and possibly exposing hundreds of other people to it? <laughs> It's like it's it's like Roko's basilisk, right? (laughs) Yeah. You mean in the sense of people seeing it in real life, like seeing a person that looks like that, or what do you mean by tulpa? Yeah, I mean I mean tulpa likes like coming coming through in in forms other than digital. Like maybe people start having dreams about it or thinking they saw it when they have a weird encounter because you know our brains need to fill something into some of these experiences that it doesn't understand. So. This thing might be end up, you know, showing up in real life for some people. Yeah, that's kind of what I meant about I being a cognito hazard about me, like I'm being unable to get one of the specific images out of my head and having dreams about it and stuff and feeling like I had been infected with a virus. Yeah, interesting. I guess we'll know if this thing just fades into obscurity or it becomes like Slender Man, a part of our, you know, sort of mythology or paranormal uh, mythology anyway. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's um i don't know have you have you done a show in the back rooms sorry are you familiar with the back rooms at all i've only vaguely been familiar with the back rooms um somebody somebody brought it up on one of these shows yes and i think chris mentioned it um yeah and then i had to go look it up and i yep. sort of understand it <laughs> oh that's incredible yeah it's a fascinating uh example of like collective storytelling it's a very yeah. slender mask thing um but the backrooms originally drew me to it uh, when it was like first popping up before there were all these like YouTube creators who were just making all these like derivative backrooms videos and stuff before it really blew up. Um, when I first saw the stuff about it, it really freaked me out because I had had a dream about that place like years ago, like decades ago. Mm, um, really? Yeah. <laughs> like I've had a dream about the backrooms long before the internet. It was before the internet even existed, I think. Well, no, no, it wasn't before the internet, uh, but it was well before like social media and stuff. This was maybe 2000. 2004, mm. 2005, mm. I had a dream. Yeah, defi about, definitely not before the internet. Yeah, not before the internet. <laughs> uh, but, like before, before the backrooms was like a concept, before the image that was originally like the source of the backrooms mythology was posted on 4chan, yeah. you know? Well, well, it's a real place. It's it's in yeah, yeah. It's in Japan, I think, or I don't know about that specific image. I thought it was like a place. in Pennies or something. Well, I, yeah, I don't know about that particular image, but there on Google Maps, you can go to, I, I used to be able to know exactly where it was um you could go to this specific spot like in japan and basically drop into street mode and there's um there's photos of something that looks just like that with the yellow and it, it's weird oh, okay. well, cool. well all right so you know back rooms are something we can do a show on in the future because we're out of time um and back rooms and like spc archive and stuff like that those are kind of in the similar vein aren't they yeah it is i mean it's it's all in that same slender man like like digital mythology of the you know mid to late 2000s and, and 2010s yep. all right well that seems like a good place to end for now and we'll come back and we'll talk about that again because you know ren needs to be on the show more <laughs> yes indeed and uh let's let's go around where, where can people find you ren um, yeah, so I uh, people can find me on social media. They can also uh, find me on at liminalroom.com, my blog that I haven't updated in like two or three years. Um, <laughs> but it lists my old podcast uh, appearances if you want to go look at those. But yeah, otherwise, um, you know, I'm on social media, um, Facebook, that sort of thing. Um, feel free to hit me up or send me an email You're via on? the uh, contact info on my website. You're on Facebook? Uh, yeah, it's just for like this stuff. It's huh. not like a personal Facebook, but uh, that's what they all say. I barely use it. I always assume you use. I always assume you use Twitter and uh, Discord. Yeah, yeah, mostly just Twitter and Discord. Um, but Facebook, I do have it because some people I know only use it, so I have gotcha. to like use it to gotcha. communicate with them. But uh, yeah, that's fair. But also too, um, I'm going to be at the uh, Strange Realities Conference in Nashville uh, in mid October. And yep. if you go to Strange Reality, I think it's strangerealitiesconference.com. Yes. Yeah, you can uh, get tickets and stuff for that. I'm going to be doing a uh, the Via Solus Elixir Rite for Libra on Friday night. Um, and that's going to be a group participatory ritual in which anybody who wants will be able to join in the ritual with me. And uh, we're going to create an alchemical elixir that contains the magical powers of the zodiac sign of Libra. And uh, we're all going to consume that magical elixir and gain those magical powers. That's so awesome. I, I hope it goes well. And yeah. Taylor, where can people find you? Uh, eventually, uh, Green Line Podcast is um, going on to a new website, hmm. uh, a new hosting, uh, ideally, if I can get my act together. 
Um, and Sigil Arcanum, uh, just sigilarcanum.com. It's my tarot deck. The beautiful um, tarot deck. Yeah, things are, uh, I've been very busy, so my internet presence is not great, but uh, I'm also on Discord, uh, on the Where to the Road Go Discord or elsewhere, and uh, occasionally on Twitter as well. All right, and Nathan? Um, you can find me at uh, com. On Twitter, Facebook, everywhere, you know, the, the podcast is on, uh, you know, Apple, all the platforms. And same thing will be at uh, Strange Realities uh, this October 14th through the 16th or whatever it is. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, tune into that. But yeah, on, on all the social medias, if anybody wants to reach out and say hi. All right. Thank you all. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks, man. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. There's not a Patreon uh, segment to continue this. However, I do have some Patreon segments I'm going to be putting up that were not connected to anything. So hopefully I'll get those up this week. If you want to become a patron, it's the best way to help the show. It's only $3 a month, and you get extra content all month long. Just go to wheredotheroadgo.com and click on the Patreon link. Beyond that, give us a good rating on whatever you're listening to. Share it. Tell your friends about it. Everything helps. And I'm going to take you out with something from Unverkult. And uh, that is spelled U-N-V-E-R-K-A-L-T. Their album is, uh, I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation, L'Origine du Monde. And they are a Greek band. And uh, you can find their stuff on Bandcamp. They have one album out, and this is coming off of that. came out in 2020. This is a track called Wretched Man. Also, if you like stuff like this, check out my music show, The Last Exit for the Lost, www.thelastexit.org. There's archives of shows, and uh, there's a new show there every single week. So I guess I will see you all next time.
been listening to where did the road go this show is made possible in part from our patreons and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange you can always find everything where did the road go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com and thank you so much for your support We live our entire lives knowing that death awaits us. Many believe that some part of us endures. Eyewitnesses swear to have seen spirits of the dead haunting the living, and even appearing during alien abductions. Is the UFO mystery reaching out to us from beyond the stars, or from beyond the grave? This staggering implication demands not only scrutiny of the UFO phenomenon, but near-death experiences, ancient monuments, Ley Lines, The Fae Folk, Cryptids, and more. I'm Joshua Cutchen. I'd like to invite you into the Ecology of Souls, a new mythology of death and the paranormal, a comprehensive theory of all things supernatural framed through the lens of our final transition. Join me as we journey from the depths of prehistory to the present, from the outer space of the cosmos to the inner space of the self. Ecology of Souls, Volumes 1 and 2, now available from Amazon in print and as a combined ebook. Welcome to the Ecology of Souls. Mm-hmm.